Our scripture reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 2 to chapter 3 verse 3a. Jonah 2 from verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So far the reading. Salvation belongs to our God. The book of Jonah is a journey through the life of a prophet but it's also very much a description of the grace and mercy of a compassionate God. God is merciful to the people of Nineveh, and he sends Jonah to preach to them, but the pouting prophet runs away. On his journey, he runs into a a bit of a stormy problem. And again, there's the hint of salvation that's available in the Lord when the sailors are saved. And after acknowledging his sin and recognizing God's supremacy, Jonah turns into a praying prophet. In his despair, he does what what he was supposed to do from the beginning, praise God and vowing to worship him with sacrifice and with praise. And we can see that he now really gets it. He gets it when he proclaims salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's on this salvation that belongs to the Lord that we're going to focus this morning. You see, it's not just a theme of the book of Jonah, it's a theme also of the whole of Scripture. It's the message of the whole of Scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's about the message of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. What does it mean, though, when when Jonah cries cries out, salvation belongs to the Lord? What does it mean for us today in terms of our salvation, our security and our response? As we answer these questions, we'll see just how how deeply meaningful Jonah's statement really is. We'll see that it firstly means that salvation is up to God and not up to us. Secondly, it means that salvation is final, it's perfect, and it's complete. Thirdly, it means that salvation is worthy of our praise. And finally, God's salvation is also worthy of being made known. God's salvation is his work. 
God's salvation is perfect. God's salvation is worthy of our praise and God's salvation is worthy of being made known. So what does it mean to say that God's salvation is his work? If you read the first chapter of the book this week, you would have seen how the sailors all prayed to their various gods for relief, for rescue, for deliverance. Deliverance from the storm and the raging sea. But of course those gods couldn't help them, for they were all false gods. They were powerless gods. Those idols couldn't give their followers what they most needed, salvation. And the same sort of thing happened when Elijah challenged the prophet of Baal on Mount Carmel. Even though Baal's prophets did all sorts of things to encourage him to help them, he couldn't do anything. He was useless. But the true God could do something, and he did. If the false gods of the sailors, the false gods of the Israelites, couldn't even help them with regards to their physical rescue, how could they ever begin to save them eternally? It's only the Creator God, only the one who made the heavens and the earth, that is able to do that. It is this God, our God, whom Jonah told the sailors that he served. It's this God, our God, that Jonah now recognizes as being supreme, the one who's in control of everything. And it's this God, our God, to whom he surrenders his life. He knows salvation belongs to the Lord. He not only knows this because of his experience, but also what God's word teaches. Now, you know, there can't be much doubt that as a prophet of God, Jonah would have been familiar with the the book of worship of the ancient Israelites, the Psalms. Listen to how in his prayer Jonah echoes what, what David said in a number of Psalms. In Psalm 3, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. In Psalm 37, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence from him comes my salvation. And perhaps Jonah also heard God's word in the in his contemporary prophet Hosea. I am the Lord your God, and beside me there is no saviour. The bottom line, brothers and sisters, the bottom line is that Jonah knew from from the scriptures as well as from, from his own experience that salvation is the work of God alone. Now for Jonah, that salvation was found in his physical deliverance. For he was as good as dead when he, when he sank further down into the sea. To slightly misquote the Coles ad, down, down, Jonah was down. Yes, Jonah was down and out. But the Lord rescued him. The Lord rescued him using that famous big fish as an instrument of salvation. However, there's so much more, so much more than physical salvation at stake. It was in God's grace that he provided Jonah with salvation from death. But God has provided us. He's provided us with an even bigger deliverance. Deliverance from eternal death. And it's all his work. Walk with me, if you will, um, through a very brief history of salvation to see how God's work of salvation plays out. It was in Bethlehem that a kinsman redeemer just happened to be found for that Moabites Ruth. God's appointed King David just happened to be their descendant. Many years later, the Roman 
rulers just happened to proclaim a census in Israel where persons had to go to, to their hometowns to be registered. Bethlehem, or the house of bread, just happened to be where Joseph came from. This house of bread just happened to be the place where the living bread called Jesus was born. All of these things just happened, didn't they? Does salvation belong to God? Can I have an amen somewhere there? Salvation belongs to our God. Friends, salvation belongs to our God. It's His work and His work only. Only He can do it because only He has the power to do it. Only He can do it because only He has the authority to do it. Only He can do it because only He is on control of everything, as Jonah recognized. And as we'll see next, not only can he do it because he's the only one um, who can do it, but he's also the only one who can do it perfectly. God's salvation is perfect. Now just as it isn't up to you or to me to organize our own salvation, it also isn't up to you or me to try and contribute to that salvation. You see, God's work is completed, is perfect. The work that Jesus did on the cross wasn't just adequate. It didn't just cover the, the basic essential. He didn't get a pass mark of just over 50. It is complete. It is complete. It doesn't just meet the, the bare minimum standard. It's complete. There's nothing for you or me to do. Nothing for you or me to add. Perhaps it might be helpful to think about it like this. Imagine that you're a tightrope walker and you're about to walk from the top of one building to another building. It's only 100 metres between those two buildings and there's a nice cable, a uh, rope across, stretched across there. But that rope is only 90 metres long. The last 10 metres is just a piece of cotton thread. Would you be happy to walk across that rope? I think I can safely say, of course not. But what if the rope was just that little one centimetre short? It was just that last centimetre that was a, a piece of cotton thread. Would that make a difference to you? Would you then walk across that, that rope? Well, let me tell you, you'll be just as dead trying to cross over, uh, over on that rope, whether the cotton thread was a metre long, five metres long, or just a centimetre long. It doesn't matter. The point here is that the rope represents the work that Christ has done. And the thread is a picture of what we think we can add to that salvation. But no matter how we might think we could add to the solid rope of, of Christ's work, it will never be good enough. It is in Christ alone. God's work in Jesus is complete. It is perfect. And nothing else can needs to be added and this is something we we very frequently need to remind ourselves of you now often we think things like if I just treat my husband with a little bit more respect God might love me more if I attend church just a bit little bit more regularly that will put me a bit more in God's good books if I help out just that little bit more on the various rosters, God will appreciate me more. 
if I try just a little bit harder, folks, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with treating your husband or your wife, for that matter, with more respect. There's nothing wrong with attending church more regularly or helping out more with the various things that need to be done at church. In fact, each one of those things would be excellent things to do. I would highly recommend them. But none of them will make God love you more. These works and these other good works that we do may be evidence of our salvation, but not a single one of them will contribute to our salvation. Not even a tiny bit. It's only because the work of God completed in Christ, only because of that, that we can stand before our God as heirs of salvation. The salvation that we inherited because of Christ's completed work. As that blessed him, uh, great hymn, Blessed Assurance says, Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That is indeed a blessed assurance. That work that God did through Jesus isn't just perfect in what it accomplished. It's also perfect in the sense that it is done, that it's dusted, that it's final. And not only is there nothing that we can add to it, there's also no way that someone can take something away from it. And that's a, another huge and blessed assurance. We can truly say amen with Paul when, when he says that there's nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing in heaven or on earth, or that exists now or that will exist in the future, not death or life, nor angels nor demons, or heights or depths or anything else in all of creation. What a magnificent guarantee that is. Because God has done the work. It is perfect. Because God has done the work, it is complete. In every possible way that you can think of, it is complete, it's final, it's done. And sometimes yet we can forget about this perfect um, assurance, this perfection. About five years ago, I listened to an interview with Billy Graham. And I was really saddened to hear that, that he said that he wasn't sure that when he got to heaven, Jesus would say to him, well done, good and faithful servant, or whether he'd say, you're in the wrong place, buddy. And the reason that he gave was that he wasn't a righteous man. Of course, like all sinners, he wasn't a righteous man. But that's totally beside the point. The point is that he didn't have the assurance of salvation because he still looked at his own works rather than the work of God fulfilled in Christ. Beloved, I sincerely pray that, that each one of you will have that assurance of salvation. But if perhaps there comes a time when you start doubting, Please don't look inwards. Please don't look outwards. Look upwards. Look upwards to your God. God has given us the wonderful assurance that salvation belongs to him. He's the author of salvation. He's the one who sent Jesus to be crushed for your and my sins. He's the one who raised Jesus up again. He's the one who places faith in Jesus in our hearts. He's the one who sanctifies it. Salvation belongs to our God. 
And because salvation belongs to Him, you and I have the brilliant assurance of salvation too. Today and every other today is secure. And eternity is glorious. And all those who have surrendered to Jesus have that eternal security that they will share in that glorious eternity. God's salvation is also worthy of our of our praise. In verses 8 and 9, Jonah tells God that he will come before him with a voice of thanksgiving, that he will bring sacrifice to him, and that he will do what he vowed to do. What Jonah is saying is that he will worship God. He's saying that he'll live focusing on God. And he'll do that, as we see in the last part of verse 9, because he's realized where his salvation comes from. That it comes from the Lord. It's the Lord who raised him up from the depths of the sea. It's the Lord who in his grace provided salvation and Jonah vows to worship him. He's saying the same thing that the Psalms tell us. That the Lord is worthy of praise because of what he has done. And how much more reason? How much more reason than than Jonah or the ancient Israelites do we have to praise God? Our loving Father has given his Son for our salvation. As Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jesus, the King of all days, stepped down into darkness, For the sake of his great love, he traded the inconceivable glory of heaven for the unimaginable horror of the cross. Salvation is ours only because of the salvation of Jesus on the cross. Salvation belongs to our God. And all those who truly repent and believe are assured of salvation. If we accept this, if we trust in the magnificent God who accomplished all of this, then surely, surely we cannot do any less than worship him with our mouths as well as with our lives. God's salvation is worthy of our living worship. Or to use Paul's words, we need to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Does God's salvation drive you to worship him? Do you think of your salvation as something that the Lord has provided? To put it in the words that psychologists so often use, how does that make you feel? Is it something that you've become so used to that you seldom think about it? Has it perhaps become something that you take for granted? How often do we praise God for the salvation he's provided in his great love? Not just here in church, not just in our congregational prayer or in the songs that we sing but in our everyday lives. Is this something, for instance, that you share with your children? Is it something that you talk about with them? Is it something that you live out before them? When you come to the Lord in in prayer, is, is that thanksgiving a regular part of your talk with God? Do you praise him for his wonderful salvation, his wonderful love that, that has made it possible for you to be part of his kingdom? 
In Psalm 96, with which we were called to worship this morning, the psalmist cries out, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Listen to how the Apostle John tells us that the heavenly beings worship and praise God. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Beloved, may each one of us worship our God with, with that attitude, with voices praising God for the son of his love, for Jesus who's gone above, who died and has now gone above. And may our lives, may our lives be a reflection of that too, especially as we fulfill that other call that God has made on each of our lives, the call to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because God's salvation is also worthy of being made known. Jonah was God's mouthpiece. God used him to speak to his people. He'd seen God's faithfulness. He'd seen God's fulfillment of his promises. But when God called him to go and preach in Nineveh to the Ninevites, he just didn't want to do it. He just didn't want to do it. He felt so strongly about it that he tried to run away from the omnipresent God. He became a fleeing prophet. He just did not want to go and preach to the Ninevites because he knew that if they repented, God would be gracious. God would give salvation. But somewhere between telling the sailors about God and doing just swimmingly inside his big fish, Jonah came to his senses. He came to his senses. And as we see in the rest of the book, he'll do what the Lord has commanded him to do. He sometimes did it with a bit of an attitude, but he did what the Lord commanded him to do. He may not share his fishy experience with the Ninevites, but he will share God's good news with them. My friends, we are not Old Testament prophets. We're not even New Testament prophets. But God has called each one of us to share the good news of the Lord, of the Lord's salvation through his son Jesus Christ with others. Brothers and sisters, God's salvation is worthy of being made known. For it is absolutely beautiful and wonderful news. It's the news that the God who created the universe, who created heaven and earth, loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to die for your sins on the cross. And that news is absolutely worthy of being shared with those around us, as well as with those who are still living in darkness across the world. Now, we can't all be, all be missionaries, but we can and must all be ambassadors of this wonderful God, proclaiming his salvation, that salvation belongs to him and to him alone. This is part of the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of all nations. That's a task for each one of us, even as we go about our daily tasks, sharing the good news of God's grace and salvation through Christ alone. Beloved, this is something that just has to be. It just has to be part of your and my everyday life. 
as saved people, it has to be part of our everyday lives. It can't just be a, a sometimes thing, a some, sometimes thing, a thing that you, that you do, do on a special project type of thing. It must be an always thing. For if we want to live, love our neighbours like ourselves, as our Saviour said, how can we not share this wonderful news by what we say, by what we do, by, by who we are? And let, re- let me remind all of us of Paul's words. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? How can they hear about him unless we tell them? Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation belongs to our God, the Lord God Almighty. He is the author of salvation. It is his work that gives us complete assurance because our salvation is not up to us. And because his work is done, because it is his work alone, that salvation is complete. That salvation is complete and it is perfect. And if that's the case, how can we not praise him for that salvation? How can we keep quiet about that wonderful gift of grace and mercy and love? I pray that the following words with which I'll conclude paint a picture of how we feel towards our great God. King of life, we praise you for your salvation, perfect and complete. King of love, we praise you for your Son, through whom we have that salvation. King of light, we will joyfully proclaim that salvation belongs to you. King of all, King of all, you alone are worthy of our praise, and we gratefully surrender all to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you despite our sin. Thank you that we can know that if we humble ourselves before you and ask for your forgiveness, you will forgive us. Thank you for that wonderful assurance that because of Jesus, because of the complete and perfect work of Jesus on the cross, we have been rescued just as surely as Jonah was rescued from his sin and from that that big fish that you in your grace provided. Help us, Lord, to search our hearts. Give us the wisdom to recognize our sin. And Lord, then help us to lay that sin before you in in humility. Help us also to keep, keep surrendering our lives to you every day. Lord, we know that salvation belongs to you and that nothing we can do can bring us that salvation or add to that salvation. But Father, you also want us to live lives that are dedicated to you, lives that focus on you. And we pray, O Lord, that you will help us to present ourselves and to keep presenting ourselves to you as living sacrifices every day, knowing that our salvation is secure, that it is complete, that it is perfect, that there's nothing that we can add to it, that it is something that we need to share with others as well. And Lord, just keep enabling and empowering us to keep praising you for that wonderful salvation that you have provided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.